welcome to Minute 34 of Season 4 Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a hilarious and poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan rom-com, One Harry Met Sally, One Minute at a Time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is our uh, burlesque performer slash animator, <laughs> Duncan Shields. Welcome back, Duncan. Hey, how's it going? I bet I bet you regret telling me that 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 bit of information, uh, you know, before we uh, started today's show. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about yesterday. Sometimes in New York, people just uh, say a little more than they should, even though we're not. Yeah. Neither one of us is in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, both, that's right. But but Harry and Sally are in New York, so I think that 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 makes it a little easier. Yeah, you know, to, yeah. to take that. So minute thirty-four begins with Sally. Uh, trying to continue to reassure herself and ends with Sally responding to Harry. So yesterday we ended things where Sally was in mid conversation by explaining um, what happened between her and Joe. And she started by saying, and every time I think about, and then today we continue with when it, I am more and more convinced that I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And Harry looks at her and says, boy, you sound really healthy. She goes, yeah, at least. And then that's the end of their conversation uh, in in this little cafe or anything like that. Um, First of all, do you think that, I mean, she's really just trying to convince herself. Or or do you think she really believes that that she is over him? I think she's coming to the realization that she might actually be. I think it's a combination of the two. I think she's saying what you say. You know, and she's like, uh, and I think she was not expecting what Billy Crystal said. Right. When he says, uh, you know, you're, 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 you could say, you know, yeah, you're better off, or I'm sorry to hear that. But I don't think she was expecting him to say, wow, that's, you sound really healthy. Right. Because he's uh, basically saying that he's not feeling healthy about the whole thing. You yeah. Know, that, that's, that's his interpretation of it. He's like, he's like, wow, how did you get to that place? I want to get to that place too. That's a really good, yeah, that's a good interpretation of that line of him saying, gosh, you know, you're not like me, <laughs> you know, you're, you sound really healthy. And I think she has always thought of herself as unhealthy, but in that moment, she's like, you think so? Huh? Yeah. Am I? Gosh, or am I just, because I think she's unsettled by the fact that she doesn't really care. Right. You know, she's like the relationship faded and broke off. And she's like, well, that was that. Bye, Joe. Right. <laughs> and she's like, that was five years of my life. Surely I should be devastated or something. And, right. uh, and Maybe that's and, what it but, comes down to. Maybe she thinks that she should be reacting in a, in a harsher way than she is. And she's beating herself up over it. Yeah. And then he's like, no, actually, you sound healthy. And she's like, well, let me check in with that theory. Right. Uh, I wonder if you're right. Maybe you are. Wouldn't that be wild, you know? But she's just taken a moment of taking that on board. And uh, Yeah, but she's, and, she has to also take into consideration who's saying this to her. This is someone who also is going through, you know, uh, a similar breakup, uh, if, yeah. if not a worse breakup. Because, I mean, yeah. we heard we heard last week, you know, uh, Harry's story, you know, about how his wife just basically left him, you know, because she was having an affair. But yeah. here, it wasn't a question of an affair. It was a question of, okay, you know, where's this going that's what it comes yeah. down to mm-hmm. you know she wanted it to reach the point where they're going to have kids and have a family and everything like that and he doesn't you know yeah you know, joe, joe some, doesn't want that in some ways that can be more difficult 
you know, if your partner steps out on you or, or something like that, there's a definitive thing that crossed the line. And you can be like, well, that is something that's justification for ending things. Right. But if things just kind of fade out, there, there was an episode of Roseanne where, and, and, you know, Roseanne gets a lot of uh, flack and that the, the comeback attempt was, was, was flawed to say the least, but the original show got really, really raw and really, really real sometimes, even though it was a, a just a TV show. And there was a bit with Roseanne's Just sister. a TV show. Okay. <laughs> with, uh, with, with what was the actress that played Roseanne's sister? She's one of my favorites. She's so, so, so good. But she was in a relationship with a guy that wasn't working. And it, it's not working for like a couple of seasons. And then at the end of one season, it's the two of them having dinner in silence, like they always You're do. You're talking about Lori Metcalf, right? Lori Metcalf, that's her name. Yeah, gosh, all hail Lori Metcalf. She's so good. Uh, but she's having dinner in silence with her husband, and her um, the camera just kind of slowly zooms in on them having dinner in silence for like forty five seconds, and then he's like, "So, um, I was thinking maybe we should like uh, maybe split up, and I should move out." And she's like, "Yeah, okay." And they uh, and they keep on eating, <laughs> and it's like. It's like a knife in your heart. It is so horrible. Like you're in the room with them and it's just awful. And it's, and they're, it's worse than them having some giant fight and throwing stuff at each other or, or worse than one of them cheating on the other or something. There's just nothing left. And they've gotten to the very end of the sidewalk and they're bringing up something, this huge momentous life change, like it's, uh, like they just, they just got to say the words, you know, I don't know. There was something about it that was so devastatingly real that I've never seen in a show before. And I think that's, that's harder to approach and get to as a, as a, as a couple, you know, okay. saying All right, that's fair. things just aren't really working anymore. And I want to go is way different than, um, I think that's why a lot of people sabotage their relationships is because they get to a point where things aren't working and they want to leave, but there's no concrete reason yet. So they're like, okay, I'm going to go sleep with somebody else. Cause then there'll at least be anger and a fight and fireworks and a reason, you know, uh, because it's just too awkward and weird to break up over something as intangible as I don't know. It's just not working anymore. You know, hmm. I don't know. So I think that's why she has to check in with herself that, yeah, when Billy Crystal accuses her of being actually really healthy, <laughs> you know, she's like, that's something that never even occurred to me. Maybe I am. Huh. So it's a neat, a neat little look inside herself that she does. I like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it makes sense that she's looking at like it from that perspective. And then the the scene switches, and we're 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 seeing the two of them walking in Central Park. And then Sally says, "At least I got the apartment." Yeah. And then Harry Harry turns to her and says, "That's what everybody says to me too. But really, what's so hard about finding an apartment? What you do is you read the obituary column. Yeah, you find out who died, go to the building, you tip the doorman." What they could do is make it easier and just combine the obituaries with the real estate section. Then you'd have Mr. Klein died today, leaving a wife, two children, and a spacious three-bedroom apartment with a wood-burning fireplace. And, you know, Sally just starts laughing at him. 
and it's great laughing at his joke you know yeah. she's you know the, the other two times she's she, that we've seen her with him she's like annoyed by him and here she's finally letting herself react uh yeah. in a natural you know way that she's happy about everything the you know that's going on and i i love the fact that they they have the music playing in the background you know you mentioned yesterday the whole thing about uh you know harry Kong jr music in this movie yeah. Yeah. and i th- i think this is mark shaman who's who's playing the piano here i think according to the commentary they mentioned that yeah and it, it's just it's great because it's you know, they mentioned in the commentary that this is one of the first times they play this music in the movie because this is the beginning of this is basically their love theme. And it's the beginning of the two of them, yeah. you know, realizing that okay, you know, I can actually have a relationship with this with this person. And again, we're not even talking about a, a romantic relationship. We're just talking about the fact that they can be friends. You yeah, know, where it starts off in that point, you know. Yeah, and because it's just starting, the music is barely discernible. Yeah, very, very plain. That do 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 do. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's not. It's they're not busted into song just yet. It's like oh, the first hints of. You know, it's not a meet cute. Right. It's, uh, it's just it's the beginning of an actual you know relationship. Exactly. So first of all, they're walking through Central Park. So what what do you know about Central Park? I've been there a few times. I know that uh, it's been through a series of chapters. Uh, I know that um, there were squirrels that were addicted to crack in Central Park for a while that were <laughs> bugging people for food. Um, I know that there's a memorial mosaic to John Lennon near the entrance that was close to his apartment. Um, I know that it's one of the largest within a city parks uh that exist although it is not as big as stanley park in vancouver stanley park is much much bigger but that's the only because you have a lot more space you have a lot more space in vancouver than you do in new york in manhattan Uh, not not so much (laughs) we're kind of like um yes well yes and no manhattan's an island we're in a valley facing the coast or we're on the, the, the downslope of a mountain facing the coast. So we're, we're kind of, it's like, uh, San Francisco. It's only 12 miles long and it's in the center of a ravine. So there's no real place for it to go except up. Right. You can't really spread. It's not a, not a prairie town. So, and there's, I guess, a similar thing with Manhattan for sure. I don't know how they manage the history of Central Park. Must be pretty fascinating. Right. We're we're not going to get too much. I do have, I do have the whole history, but we're not going to get into it all. Right. But I mean, the first thing I wanted to say is that, uh, you know, it is actually just the fifth largest park in New York. It's not even the largest park in New York. What? baffles me yeah me too holy moses that's a big park wow mm-hmm. yeah so well, first in, of all it's, new york it's a, the state or new york in new york <laughs> city in new wow. york city because new york city nice. you got the, the the five boroughs you know that type of thing sure, sure but so it's it um it's located between the upper west and the upper east sides of manhattan yeah okay it is uh it's considered an urban park it is 843 acres Okay. okay. And it is the most visited urban park in New York with an estimated 42 million visitors annually. Sure. It's also the most filmed location in the world. Yep. Not even, not even park. It's the most filmed location 
you know, they're, they're, it's just unbelievable. You know, the, the list of movies that, that you could, you know, find that, uh, that deal with this. So I mentioned the fact that there, that is the fifth largest park in New York. So the, um, the fourth is Flushing Meadows Corona Park, which is 897 acres. That's in okay. Queens. Then in the Bronx, you have the Van Corland Park, which okay. is uh, 1,146 acres. Then in Staten Island, you have the Greenbelt Park, which is 2,316 acres. And then the largest park in the New York area is the Pelham Bay Park in Bronx. Uh, which is 2,772 acres, which I huh. find really interesting to hear because Pelham is, you know, one of my all-time favorite movies, The, the Taking yeah, of yeah, Pelham yeah. 1, 2, 3. Uh, great, the original. Great, uh, great the original. Movie, yeah. The original. The, the original. The original. Yeah. Hopefully, I will get there at some point. Uh, it's on my, it's on my, uh, you know, it, it's on my so list. I remember it in, um, there was this rap song that I listened to to sample the theme to Pelham. One, two, three. Oh, wow. And I was, I was familiar with the rap song. It was like, uh, like Buster Rhymes sampling the theme to Psycho. You know, that the rising violins in that cycle of, uh, the theme song to Psycho. But someone had done the same thing with, um, uh, taking a Pelham one, two, three. Yeah. It was on Solid Steel. It was an album by DJ Food, uh, called solid steel and they do uh they do a sample of the taking of pelham one two three and then i will have um, to find that wow solid steel okay yeah because it's a killer theme song right so it really it is it's it's by david shire it's one of the it's it's one of my all-time favorite uh you know movie themes because it's just so so catchy and then you uh and then it's in a beastie boys song when they're like the taking of pelham one two three uh it's just a little throwaway line in there uh, and if you know that, then you know me or something like that, that they're, they just throw in the taking of Pelham one, two, three. And so I didn't see the taking of Pelham one, two, three until I was trying to go through classic movies that I'd missed. So I think the first time I saw it was like five years ago or something. Oh, and wow. I was like, this is great. <laughs> you know, like, I love it when you, you find a movie from back in the day that you're not like for its time. It was pretty good, but like even watching it now in like 2020 or, you know, 2017 or something, you're like, wow, this 1978 movie still is kicking 74, 74, 74. This is, yeah, 74. This is a great film. So, so yeah, Pelham, Pelham 123. Yeah. Okay. Great so, stuff. so Central Park was actually, uh, they made a proposal to, to create it in 18, in the 1840s. It okay. Till 1853, till they approved. Uh, giving them uh, the space in 1857, they actually started. Uh, they they got the the architects Frederick Law Olmsted and Calvert Vaux. They won the design competition for the park, um, and they began uh, construction the same year. Right, it was opened to the parts of it were opened in 1858. Um, in 1859, they actually. Uh, purchased even more land around there. And then by 1876, think about it, it took 20 years for them to create this, this park. That's just unbelievable. I can, I can, I can dig that. I can, I can dig, dig that, that too. Wow. But nowadays to think about the 20 years for that, it's just, uh, you know, yeah. crazy. The only, the only measuring stick I have for that is like the, um, the, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. That's there. I don't think they finished building it yet. And they started like 120 years ago or something. Even in the 1930s, they needed to start cleaning it up because things started getting, you know, a little, little too seedy in the area. Well, there's a lot of poverty in New York, and if you put a giant 
yeah. park right in the middle of town. It's like, you know, if you yeah. through the through the months where there's no snow, there's going to be people camping out there for sure. In the 1980s, they they once again tried to to uh, refurbish the whole area because it was just yeah. uh, you know there there were a lot of problems in the 80s. Yeah, and I feel like I, I, I kind of want to qualify my earlier statement. If somebody just wants to have a, a you know, sleep in the park because they're homeless, that's not causing too much of a problem that I'm no. aware of. But I no, know no, 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 in, the, in, the, in the early '80s when New York became like the murder capital of the world, and like you know, like that's there right. was there a were... lot of you know bad elements going on. That's that that's a, that's a different that's a different conversation Correct. for sure. I mean, there there were uh, some very uh, high high profile crimes that happened uh, in Central Park during the 20th century. Um, and that, that led to the public perception about the park. Right? Yeah. So in, in 1986, there was a, there was a man named Robert, uh, Chambers who murdered a woman named Jennifer Levin mm -hmm. in what was later called the preppy murder. The preppy murder. Okay. Yes. And then three years later, there was an investment banker who was raped and brutally beaten in what uh, came to be known as the, uh, Central Park jogger case. Mm. Right. Yeah, Jogger um, was a target in a lot of those, you know, horror movies and news reports and fictional yeah. New York. Exactly. And in 1984, there was there was a um, uh, another pro high profile case about two homeless women that were uh, gang raped there. Yikes. Uh, yeah. You and, have uh, to put a trigger warning on the front of this episode. <laughs> yeah, apparently. And you 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 mentioned uh, you know the fact that the drug epidemic so in the eighties in the seventies and eighties there there was a large drug epidemic there a large yeah. homeless presence vandalism yeah. and neglect yeah neglect I think was a big one it became kind of a no go you know area where it was just not maintained yeah. and there were no police because they had other emergencies to attend to it's right. kind of a no man's land and the uh, most recent high profile case that happened there was. In uh, the year 2000, right after the Puerto Rican Day Parade, there were gangs of drunken men that uh, were walking around sexually assaulting women in the park. Oh, I remember something about that. Yeah, yeah. Remember that. So, yeah, that's a that, uh, news story that made it out. Right. So one of the things that, that, that Harry mentions here in his joke is the whole idea about obituaries and things like that. So what, what, what do you know about obituaries? Well, I mean, I need to, to I needed to write one for my father. I know that you can, you know, get what is it, certain amounts of five cents per word or something. You know, like I, I don't know too much about them. I know that this um, this monologue is very much like some uh, stand up routine that Billy Crystal has that they managed to just uh, throw into the film. Yes, <laughs> so it like was. It was according to the commentary. This was something that 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 Billy Crystal added to to the to, to the to the script. You know, he added it on his it own. It really strikes me as a, you know, what is the deal with finding an apartment? You know, no, but that's, that's Seinfeld. That's you know? Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. So, but it's that kind of, that kind of, uh, you know, this idea that I had of, of uh, you should combine the obituaries with the apartments for rent section. You know, that kind of. <laughs> You know, think yeah. about it, think about it, you know, and then, uh, yeah, like it's very much because uh, uh, I think Crystal did a lot of he did a lot of stand up, didn't he? Did yeah, he, did for he, sure. He, he get in that way kind of thing. Yeah. So I know he's no stranger to stand up. And this really this really feels like a like a stand up routine. And it's it's funny. But there's that the when he starts off saying, 
what's so hard about finding an apartment in New York? I'm like, have you, what would you even, why, why would that sentence come out of a New Yorker's mouth? Cause it's impossible. No, but maybe, maybe in 1987, it was, it was easier to find apartments than, than it is now. I don't know. Yeah. It also reminds me of, um, uh, I think it was also in Deconstructing Harry where, uh, where Woody Allen has uh, sex with a prostitute and afterwards, he asks her, like, you know, how'd you get into prostitution? And she says, well, it beats the hell out of waitressing. And uh, <laughs> and, she, and he says, God, every prostitute I ask that question to says it beats the hell out of waitressing. Waitressing must be like the worst job on the planet. You know, and I, it kind of reminds me of that, like, you know, how hard is it to find an apartment in New York? You know, you know, it's it's a similar kind of kind of thing. And oh, yeah, mixing mixing the obituaries. It's, it's funny. It's funny. But yeah, I don't yeah. know much about obituaries. Yeah. No, so this. basically the, the, the idea of an obituary is, is you know, it's, a, it's an article about a recently deceased person. Yeah. You know, most newspapers uh, publish them as news articles. Yeah. Uh, they're usually, uh, they, they just focus on the positive aspects of the person. You know, uh, sometimes not, but in most cases it is. I mean, the, the obit editor of the Times is quoted as saying, obit should be life-affirming rather than gloomy, but they should also yeah. be opinionated leaving the reader a strong sense of whether the subject lived a good, good life or bad, whether they were right or wrong in the handling of their public affairs. You know, so it, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, they're, 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 this is also unpaid uh, advertisements. Basically there are paid advertisements for, you know, after people uh, pass on, you know, you have death notices that you have to pay yeah. for to put in the newspaper and you have uh, memorial advertisements which uh now one of the things that I knew about this before and I didn't even I never made a connection until I was starting to think about it now is um you know they you have the the whole idea of of pre-written obituaries okay that um a lot of newspapers have you know obituaries already written for people who are still alive that are famous yeah. you know so this way they can just if something happens when something happens to the person you know, when, because there's no, if <laughs> it eventually will happen to all of us, yeah. you know, um, that you would have the, you know, you have the article ready. You just have to quickly proof it, uh, make the, 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 the quick changes and you can get it out there as quickly as possible. Um, obviously this has caused many, uh, uh, mistakes over the years where sure. things have been accidentally published that shouldn't have yeah. been published. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, you have to watch out for those things, and then you have the whole idea of of premature obituaries, okay? Which are, um, you know, sometimes they will put out an obituary of someone who hasn't died yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you can you think of any any famous uh, uh, you know uh, accidentally published uh, obituaries? There there are certain people that it's very it's known that they have had numerous uh, obituaries for them. I don't know about uh, famous, but one I know of is Julie Strain, who was uh, she was the cover girl for Heavy Metal magazine, and she ended up marrying uh, was it Laird or Eastman, one of the guys that came up with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, ended up buying Heavy Metal magazine and marrying Julie Strain, and she was going to be the lead actor in um, Heavy Metal Two, uh, but she was like six foot two or six foot two or so, you know she was very very tall, athletic you know, that heavy metal kind of, you know, huge boobs, you know, you know, just a fantastic, athletic, beautiful, statuesque, giant body with just this massive black hair. There's this cover girl and, you know, she 
was in an accident and they reported her death and then she wasn't dead. Uh, But it was a it was a pretty severe head injury. Uh, And then about four months later, she did die. Mm -hmm. So they they reported her death like again. And a lot of people were like, what's going on here? Didn't she die in the summer? And it's like, no, no, she. (laughs) So it was like, oh, whoopsie. You know, like there was this whole back and back and forth about um, it's embarrassing. I don't think anybody wants that kind of confusion to no, sit down. No, for sure not. Uh, I mean, we've it. recently in the last year have had two that, that uh, you know, of famous people. Uh, first of yeah. all, of Anne Hesch, you know, who, uh, right. when she got into her car accident, so there were a lot of obituaries that were that were put out before she, she passed away. Yeah. Um, and also Tony Dow the, from, uh, you know, Leave it to Beaver. He played Wally. Oh, okay. So he, he was reported to have died on July 26th from complications of liver cancer. Um, and then, uh, his wife notified that he had not died. Uh, yeah. And, and they had the official announcement on his Facebook page and everything like that. And then later on, they found out that he was still alive and in hospice care and he, he passed away the following day, but still, you know, put, they put it out, uh, you know, a day in advance. Yeah. Um, a few others, it also happened, the same thing happened a few years ago to Tanya Roberts, you know, the famous uh, Bond girl from, uh, Vito Kill. When right. she she was hospitalized on December twenty fourth, twenty twenty, and on January third, twenty twenty one, it was reported that she had died, but apparently she was still alive. And once again, she passed away the following day. Right. Um, Kirk Douglas, there was a draft of his obituary that was leaked on People Magazine's website on November thirtieth, twenty fourteen. Okay, when Douglas was uh, ninety seven, and apparently, I mean, he he still lives for another six years after that report. Six years. Well, yeah. yes. Yeah. Whenever there's a, a false obituary, it's usually published like three or four days before they actually die kind of thing. Right. But in most years, cases, but yeah, six wow. years. Um, Mark Twain. Okay. He was uh-huh. reported dead twice. And then in eight, the one is that's right. The death have been greatly exaggerated. Right? That's correct. In 1897, a journalist sent an inquiry about Twain's health, thinking that he was near death. In fact, it was his cousin who was very ill. Although no obituary was published, Twain recounted the event in the New York Journal on June 2nd, 1897, including his famous words, the report of my death were, was an exaggeration, which is usually misquoted as the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated or reports yeah. of my death have greatly exaggerated. And then on May 4th, 1907, um, he was on a yacht that uh, people lost track of. So the New York Times published an article saying that he's been lost at sea. The yacht had been held up by fog, and uh, Twain had actually uh, gotten off the, the the yacht. And he read up the, read the article and cleared up the story by writing a humorous account in the New York Times the following day. He lived for another three years after that. Also, most famous account of of a, a an actor who was reported dead is Abe Vigoda. Abe Vigoda, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in nineteen eighty two, that's right, fish. In nineteen eighty two, People Magazine referred to him as the late Abe Vigoda. And then he posed, he posed for a photograph showing him sitting up in a coffin, holding the magazine in question. Yeah. In 1987, a reporter on, on a TV station also referred to him as the late Abe Vigoda. Um, and the following day, they, they realized the mistake. And basically, Vigoda uh, claimed that during the 80s, the widespread belief that he was dead cost him a lot of work. Sure. Um, sure. Erroneous reports of Vigoda's death became something of a running joke in yeah. TV sketches through the rest of his life. 
further further aided by Vigoda's longevity as he would live to be 94 years old. Yeah. Okay, there was a website called Abe Vigoda Status, which oh, featured I nothing. Is AbeVagodaDead.com. I thought that. Okay, right. yeah. And it's featured nothing but a smiling photo of Goda and a live clock calibrating to the day and second. And the advisory, Abe Vigoda is followed by the up to minute information of Alive until right. he actually passed away in 2016. Um, at right. this point, the, the website went offline. Uh, <laughs> and then it, it People complained, and it came back and uh, returned with an update that Vagoda that Vagoda was indeed dead. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I remember that, that website. That worked. Yeah. Uh, then it comes back, and after the music, and Harry says, "You know, the first time we met, I really didn't like you very much." And Sally says, "I didn't like you." He goes, "Yeah, you did. You were just so uptight then. You just you're much softer now." And she looks at him and goes, "You know, I hate that kind of remark. It sounds like a compliment, but really." It's an insult. Okay, you're still hard as nail. <laughs> I just didn't want to sleep with you, and you had to write it off as a character flaw instead of dealing with the possibility that it might have something to do with you. <laughs> so, it's again, great, it's, it's, a, it's a great conversation. It's a it, great conversation. Like Billy Crystal, I guess that's what we would nowadays call negging. Yes, or whatever when you when you uh, a pickup artist kind of uh, thing where you you say like you know you're a lot thinner than you used to be or you say uh, wow it's not true what everybody says about you you're really nice you know or or something where you you uh, you, you strike at the heart of their insecurity and then shore it up with some kind of compliment and yeah. it's actually not you know it sounds like something you're supposed to say thank you to. But it's not. And I like that she pegs it right out the gate, right out yeah. the gate. She's like, that's uh, a hurtful thing to say. That's a bad thing to say. I don't like it when people say things like that. And I was like, you tell them, you know, good, because that's <laughs> kind of. And then and then she goes further and says, like, you had to write off me not wanting to sleep with you as a character flaw instead of dealing with the possibility that it might have had something to do with you. And I find that that really is still such a prevalent problem with guys in um, everywhere yeah. where it's like, you know, the fragile men or I guess incels or it's like a, the, the woman that doesn't like you is flawed. Right. And if a lot of women don't like you, then it's, it's this, all of them. It's, it's this <laughs> society, obviously of you course. Know, something's wrong with it. It can't possibly be you. That's the problem. And um, I mean, I can still, I can still, I can see a lot of, uh, you know, women having the same kind of thoughts of, you know, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's all men, you know, but I, I think there was this tweet I saw. It's a where, combination of both. I think it's a combination of both. I think it's more reported on in men because they will kill people, you know, and I think okay. that, um, <laughs> I think with, with women, it's, it's kind of just, it become bitter and, uh, it's, that's less, you know, less explosive, but the, um, there was this there was this tweet I saw, I remember where it was like, I've been sitting beside these two women talking, and the one woman has been talking to her friend for forty five minutes about how she can't keep a man, but she hasn't let her friend get one word in. <laughs> and I want to tell her that lady, the call is coming from inside the house. 
you know, and, uh, you know, so people can be completely oblivious to the faults they have that are repulsing everybody around them. Even if you learn from a book, this is how to get somebody and you follow those steps, you know, then it'll be like too robotic and still weird and, and strange and it won't work. You know, yeah. like there's, there's, there's gotta be some, some natural chemistry. That's why a lot of people are like, get a hobby, you know, take up pottery, take up bird watching, you know, go out with people with similar <laughs> interests and something might just coalesce. And if it doesn't, like you've got friends with similar interests. Like if you make the hunt, your primary objective at all times, um, you know, A, it's tiring. B, nobody, I don't know, you know, nobody wants to feel like they're in the crosshairs. They want to feel like something nice is happening. Right. You know, so I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for everybody. Maybe that's just me, but I, okay. I like this conversation. I yeah. like this conversation a lot. Like some people like to be pursued or whatever. And, uh, and, and then that gets, that can get a little complicated as well. But, right. but I, I also like that she does that thing with her eyes again here where she's, scanning the inside of her soul scanning her mind she takes a second to just wonder if what she just said was true right and then coming to the conclusion that it was there's such a neat affectation that she does it really puts you in the moment and makes you think that she's she's currently thinking about what she's saying and she's not just rattling off lines that she's memorized right it's really good yeah they and i mean this whole scene according to the commentary is also done in one take you know, it's one shot. It's not. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that really works also. Now, one of the things I didn't mention before, I, I, I forgot to mention this, you know, with his joke with the, with, with the, uh, you know, the obituary saying Mr. Klein died today, leaving a wife and two children in a spacious three bedroom apartment. Um, I mean, there's a flaw in that because if he left a wife, why is the apartment for sale? The kids, <laughs> the kids might not already be living at home. That's fine. But the, you know, it, well, maybe they've been uh, they've been divorced, and he's just living in a three bedroom apartment by himself. Then why would he leave time. a wife? They would say he would be leaving a you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be leaving an. That's ex-wife. a good point. You know, that's a really good point. That's right. It's still a funny line. It doesn't you know it doesn't it's take off from that. Line, but, yeah. You know, I, I just thought it was very funny that if you think about it, it doesn't make much sense. But again, no, he's being spontaneous. True. So yeah. you know, he could just be you know, the character's uh, you know uh, misinterpretation of the joke. Or whatever it is. Yeah. Okay. You have anything else you want to say about this before we get into the uh, script? Well, maybe just a little. Um, uh, the one thing that I, I just I wanted to say about Meg Ryan here is that I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of uh, crossover with her and Melanie Griffith. Not not okay. a lot. But you're just, talking about just you're just talking about little... the way that she looks. Yeah. The I think it's the hair. Yeah. Uh, I think they they both have a fairly a fairly solid chin uh, and they both have a similar, to me anyway, a similar vibe. I know that any attempts to make Meg Ryan into some kind of sultry sexual succubus were um, failures, you know, cause that's not, that's not her vibe at all, but they tried to do the same thing with Melanie Griffith. And for me, it totally didn't work for me. I never got the big deal about Melanie Griffith, but I mean, you know, Antonio Banderas married her. So I guess, you know, <laughs> if, the, if the hottest man on earth is like, hello, then, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. 
<laughs> right? You know, but I thought there was. So it's all in the eyes of the beholder, right? All in the eyes of the beholder. But that's where the that's where the crossover comes in uh, for me there in terms of in terms of her. But I think it's also the 1980s makeup and the hair and the the hair with the roots, the chunky sweater, you know, the blush, the eyeshadow, and almost kind of a proto 90s uh, makeup going on here as well. Um, almost kind of that. Like not all the way, like just you can see just the, the first echoes of kind of a grunge, you know, the, I think it's the big roots and uh, and that kind of stuff that purposely messy, but it's it's actually by design yeah. kind of a kind of look. Yeah. Okay, great. So the the, the script, uh, along with what we, we talked about yesterday, I mean, there isn't that much that's very different here. Uh, first of all, it, it mentions the fact that, that apparently it's supposed to be dusk in the in the script. Um, okay. It says Harry and Sally are walking together. The sun is setting. I, it, you know, for us, I mean, it doesn't. It seems as if it's in the middle of the day here. It might have been a little better if it was happening at dusk, but it doesn't really make a difference. Well, it seems you know. to. Oh, that's for well, that's for the next minute. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. You can't really tell at this point where it is. Um, yeah. And uh, there's a few minor discrepancies. Sally says, "I hate that kind of remark. I just hate it." It looks like a compliment, but you, but really it's an insult, you know. So there's a few mm-hmm. extra words in there, but uh, it, that doesn't uh, doesn't bother me that much that they they changed it. I think you know on the spot when they were doing it, they realized that uh, they didn't need that. So yeah, you know Meg Ryan changed it, Rob Reiner trying to change it. Who knows? Somewhere along the line, they they changed it and it it, it works well the way that, that it comes out in the final shot. Yeah. So every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Dating Courting Edition, where my guests will mm-hmm. give a story about something that happened to them, an adventure, misadventure, uh, anecdote, something that happened over the course of their lives that are that deal with either dating or courting. So Duncan, what have you got for us? Well, I've got uh, two. I don't know. If, are we going to do? You want to uh, do both today? One? Do both today. That's fine. We, we can. I mean, we can do both today. Or we can do one. Do both today. We're, we're good. Okay. We're good. Uh, the two was, well, one was I was, I had a female roommate and I was seeing this girl and I did the, the laundry and I found some of my girlfriend's panties in my laundry. And I was like, oh, and I, and I had the day off. So I was like, I've got this wacky, hilarious idea. I'm going to put her panties on and then go down and surprise her on her lunch break and show her you know, look what I'm wearing. I don't know what possessed me or why I thought this was hilarious, <laughs> but, but I thought it was going to be it's hilarious comedy, retelling it, but <laughs> comedy, edgy dynamite. I don't know. I was young. Um, and so I go down to her place for lunch and I, I meet her and I take her into the back alley and I undo my jeans and I show her the underwear I'm wearing. And I'm like, look, I'm wearing your underwear. And, you know, so she gets this look on her face. That's like, a, are you secretly trying to tell me something? Like, I don't get why this would be funny. And B, she's like, that's not my underwear. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, those aren't those aren't my panties that you're wearing and i don't know why you think this would be funny and b are you whose are those (laughs) you know i'm like this has gone so so wrong so very wrong like in my head i thought it would be a, a shrieky hilarious moment and now i'm like none of this was a good idea at all and also yeah whose are these and i have to like convince her that like i don't know whose these are there has not been Okay, let me rephrase that. When I say I don't know whose these are, I mean, I don't mean that there's been like 
10 women coming through my bedroom. <laughs> I've lost track. Uh, and then I was like, okay, these must be my roommates. Uh, and, uh, and this is all a horrible idea. And I've, I've got nothing happening with my roommate. We're just friends. Anyway, I'm going to go. <laughs> you know, like it was just like. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> we stayed together for a while after that. But I was just like, um, that was that was one of those ideas that is great in my head. You know, you think it's going to be super funny and it turns out to, to not be. Yeah. Uh, did, did you ever tell your roommate time, about it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Did she uh, find it funny? She was not too pleased. She was like, well, I'm sorry you ended up wearing my underwear, but I guess that's kind of funny. You know, maybe don't do that again. And I was like, yeah, great advice. That's something I'm never going to attempt ever again. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know why. Yeah. Anyway, so then uh, the, the second one was um, the uh, one of my ex-girlfriends. I was living with her. She came home once. It was my birthday. And she came home and she was like, hey, do you want to go see a movie? And I was like, nah. And she got this panic on her face. Like, uh, are, are you sure that you don't want to go see a movie? And I'm like, <laughs> nah, it was a pretty long day at work. I just want to chill. And if to, to people that know me, like I've seen so many movies and I, I love movies and I live for movies and I love seeing movies and it's like, the answer you can bank on is if you say, Hey, Duncan, do you want to go see a movie? I'm going to say yes. And you know, she knew that about me. So when I was like, nah, it was like, like, who are you and what have you done with Duncan? And uh, so she's trying to get me to go see a movie and it started to turn into a fight where, where oh, wow. she's like, well, come on, let's go to the movie. And I'm like, I, I don't want to. You know, like, and I started to put the brakes on and dig my heels in a little. And she's like, come on, you know, come on. And she kept trying. After about 10 minutes, I was like, like, leave me alone. What are you doing? I said, no, like, this is, you always do this. And it turned into like something bigger than it should have been. And, and eventually she was just like, okay, okay, this is, <sighs> we're having a surprise party. For I, I knew that's where you were going. Right. And, <laughs> We need you like out of the house for two hours. Um, and it was my job to get you out of the house for a couple hours. And I thought that the best, most bankable option would be go see a movie and then come back and then there'll be a bunch of friends here. and It'll be a surprise. And I, I, I was just like, I feel like the stupidest <laughs> worst person on earth right now that I, I totally just, but I also empathized so hard because I was just like, this is like the first time in history I've said, nah, no to a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no to a movie and and oh that's the worst it's such a such a horrifying memory i'm like oh no so yeah then i had to come back we did go see the movie and then i had to come back and be like what you know <laughs> when you when you threw in the little fact that it was your birthday at the beginning of, of that story i said to myself okay that's where this is going and i was like you know. i really hope yeah. that's where it was going you know, I, yeah. I hope that you didn't get into this fight for nothing, you know? So. Yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> so since you weren't with us on Monday, I, I decided that we'll do today. We'll do, uh, you know, Meg Ryan Monday. So, uh, Duncan, why don't you tell us your, your top five uh, Meg Ryan performances? 
Uh, there are several that I have on my list here that I like just for the fact that she was trying to go against type. Um, so number five would be Hurley Burley. Uh, number four, uh, Proof of Life. Uh, number three, Addicted to Love. Um, and I, I think that for whatever for whatever reason, I don't think any of them worked. I just really appreciated the fact that she was trying to break the, you know, Sally Albright rom-com mold that had become her bread and butter had become her. Like she did like what five, you know, the Billy Crystal and then two with Tom Hanks and, you know, all these, all these movies that she did. Um, and then she tried to, to, to break out. And then there was one that she tried to break out at that. I love like, again with Tom Hanks was Joe versus the volcano. Uh, I love that movie, and I think that her performance in it as like three different people is uh, is amazing. It's, it's a very good a good showcase for her talents because it's in the beginning when she's an office drone, um, and she's just like a dead person, just a pale fish with circles under her eyes and, and stringy hair, and she's got a cold like all the time. So she's got this gray face with this red little Rudolph nose tip and she's always got tissues and and she's just uh is run over that the office life that's depicted in Joe versus the volcano is one of my favorite scenes with Dan Hadaya in the background just going I know he can get the job but can he do the job I know he can get the job but can he do the job I'm not arguing that with you I'm not arguing that with you I know he can get the job but can he do the job just like over and over again for like 10 minutes while Tom <laughs> Hanks is putting creamer into his coffee that like does nothing to the coffee underneath a fluorescent light. That's like stuttering because it's broken. Amazing movie. And then the the top one, I guess that I liked her name was uh, French kiss with Kevin Klein as the Frenchman when they go off to, to she's a Canadian in France and um, who gives up her Canadian citizenship. And that's a great scene, you know, when she's like, you know, I was, you know, I was arrested once for, for, you know, I did some weed once and I got arrested for it. And the, uh, you know, she's like, and I, and I started, came up in my throat and I started coughing and like, you know, the customs official, the Canadian customs official is like, yeah, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, <laughs> that's what, what I don't like about smoking pot as well. Anyway, we still have to deny you a visa though. And, um, but it was, uh, her visit to the Canadian embassy, I thought was a really good depiction of, of Canadians. And I thought that the chemistry between her and Kevin Klein was fan. Was it Kevin Klein? It was Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was playing. I thought that the, the, the chemistry between two of them was fantastic. Although it had that similar, um, bit of nagging in the beginning on the plane. And I wonder how many scenes have this where the, the male lead accuses her of being, you know, bad in bed or too normal or, uh, you know, like, you know, with the, with the pedantic way she orders stuff mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in, you know, there's this like, you know, Billy Crystal being like, oh, that whole conversation about high maintenance and low maintenance that they have. Right. Did when Harry met Sally invent that? Mm, I don't know. It's a good question. Because I wonder if that was because I, I don't think I remember hearing that term before. Uh, but it's been ubiquitous ever since. Yes. 
of uh, you know people being high maintenance or people being low maintenance. But they only think that they're and then, with the low maintenance. Well, you're the, you're the worst. You think you're low maintenance, but you're actually high maintenance. It's, it's, uh, it's a good. There's so many things in this movie that became part of the cultural lexicon forever afterwards. Yeah. So uh, I was wondering if that was one of those because I think it might have been. <laughs> right. But yeah, so Hurley Burley Proof of Life, where she met. Russell, Russell Crowe, Crow, yes. right, and ended up uh, leaving Dennis Quaid, and they were the they were the couple, yes. right? They were like one of those couples, like uh, like uh, Kevin Klein and Phoebe Cates, you know, these 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 couples that have like you guys have been together for thirty years in Hollywood, you know, right. like one of those what? But uh, yeah, so proof of life, and then yeah, addicted to love, where she was, um, yeah, a jilted ex, and. Uh, you know, wore tight motorcycle <laughs> costumes yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I've yet to see one of the roles that I really wanted to see her in. Like one thing that I, I see just to talk a little bit more about her was she, she had um, like her, it's her eyes. It's her crazy eyes, her really, really blue eyes and the way she's always checking in with herself. It's almost like she's a robot trying to act human. <laughs> Right? Like she's some sort of alien that's visiting here going like, so, you know, what are humans like? You know, she right. always feels to, like she's feeling her emotions for the first time, almost like she's like on the spectrum maybe or something. Like all of her, all of her realizations about herself seem to catch her by surprise. And all of her, you know, human interactions are difficult in a way that she doesn't comprehend. You know, there's this, there's this element to her that has always been a little inhuman to me and I've never seen it portrayed in a way that was, or I never saw that aspect of her exploited in a way that I, I felt would have been great. Like, I think I would have liked to have seen her as a fairy queen or something um, otherworldly. Okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and have that, that aspect of, or an immortal, you know, or, or something that would be slightly, you know, otherworldly or, or, or bizarre. I think it would have been neat to explore her in that kind of role rather than, well, you know, if she's done being dorky, let's make her sexy, you know, <laughs> and now that she's done being sexy, let's make her a villain. You know, like there's, you know, Hollywood doesn't really have a lot of imagination when it comes to casting leading women. Right. You know, true. if they're not the longs, you know, like Ann Archer, who's like a great, uh, actor, but she was just the long-suffering wife of yeah. Gene Hackman, the long-suffering wife of you know whoever else. Michael was, Douglas. <laughs> yeah, Michael Douglas. So I like um, I like uh, I like that she became a lead, but I would have liked to have seen her. She kind of got pigeonholed, and I liked her attempts to try to break up. Right. Okay, that's fair. So, Duncan, do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So yeah, just go to Tronologically Speaking or Time Bandits Minute and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk into your ears there. <laughs> All right. And while you're doing that, go rate, review, and subscribe. Many podcasts might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Rob Minute. You can find me on my website, movierobminute.com. You can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Twitter. So until tomorrow, I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. Gave me a thrill. With all your faults, I love you still. It had to be you, wonderful you, had to be you.